Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the honor of having Dr. Dan Dominich with us. Dan has been the executive director of AASA, the School Superintendents Association, for the past nine years. Prior to that, Dan was a school superintendent for 27 years in New York and Virginia. His last assignment was in Fairfax County, Virginia, the 10th largest school system in the country. AASA plays a major role in the development and training of school system leaders and provides national superintendent certification to program graduates. Because of his many years as a successful superintendent, and now as a result of his interaction with superintendents throughout the country, Dr. Dominich has a keen understanding of the leadership skills necessary to survive and prosper as a school system leader. Most superintendents started out as classroom teachers and eventually left the classroom to assume an administrative role at the building and district level. Although they have instructional background, they tend to lack the business management and political savvy necessary to succeed on the job. Dr. Dominich stresses the importance of developing a solid working relationship with the school board and engaging and garnering the support of the community. Both of these strategies require communication and relationship skills that must be acquired and honed. So welcome, Dr. Daniel Dominich. How are you? I'm just fine. Thank you. We're so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am indeed. Wonderful. Now, Dan, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Sure. I started out, I wanted to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And I started out as a classroom teacher in uh, New York City. And that took me very quickly into administration. So I wound up leaving the city school system and the classroom. If you're familiar with Long Island in, in New York State, just outside a suburb of New York City. I live in Long Island. Okay. Well, at that time, I was in the process of getting my uh, doctorate Mm -hmm. in educational research. So I was hired by Nassau BOCES, which is the Board of Cooperative Educational Services. It's an education service agency that's very popular in New York. Right. And they hired me to be their director of research. Mm -hmm. So I did that for about six years, had a wonderful experience. And was then offered a position as an assistant superintendent in Deer Park. And within uh, six months, the superintendent there left. Mm -hmm. And the board hired me to be their superintendent at the tender age of 32. Fantastic. So I was a superintendent for 27 years. Mm -hmm. 
before I uh, retired from the superintendency. And now this is my ninth year as the executive director of what is, in essence, the National Superintendents Association, AASA. Wonderful. Now, how would you describe your leadership style? Well, I see myself as a servant leader. Mm -hmm. I've always believed that it was important for me as a leader to do not necessarily what I thought was the best thing to do. Although when I think so, I try to convince people accordingly. But generally, I would try to be a leader that is serving the needs of the people whether I'm a superintendent of schools and it would be the needs of our students and our parents or currently in the job that I have, which would be the 13,000 superintendents out there that we represent. I love servant leadership. I think that's the only kind of leader to be. What are some things that you do to make sure you keep in touch with your servant leadership? Because there's so many distractions, right? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I have done is that I have had a lot of training in group dynamics. Mm. I think it is important in that role to be someone that knows how to listen, that knows how to facilitate groups to really get the best information out of them, Mm -hmm. to be someone that can work with a group to help establish consensus. So all of those are skills that I've been trained in right. and have found to be incredibly valuable to do the work that I have done over my career. Okay, great. Now, Dan, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? Well, Ken Blanchard, actually, who's a well-known author in management, administration, and leadership, said that the key to successful leadership today is influence, not authority. Mm. So that fits very well with my style Mm -hmm. because I believe that you can be a dictator and tell people what to do, but you're not going to get the same kind of following, the same kind of loyalty that you would if you influence people, if you basically... uh, communicate with them in terms of why it's important for things to be done and they buy into that process and then they're committed to that process. And I think one of the keys to my success in all the years has been that, that I have had a loyal and devoted staff, trust my leadership and my decisions, and they're definitely willing to come along. And consequently, I've accomplished uh, many, many wonderful things that I'm very proud of. Mm-hmm. Influence, right? I think of John Maxwell's quote, leadership is about influence, nothing more, nothing less. And I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with you. But some of our listeners, maybe this is the first time they hear that. So what could they do? What are some first steps that they could do to help them grow their influence? Again, that's where the listening comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's where sitting back and not hearing, because I've run into a lot of uh, leaders who, you know, will sit there and hear people, but they're not listening. Mm -hmm. They're hearing. And then when the people have finished speaking, it's like they've said nothing and they proceed to do the things that they wanted to do in the first place. Never really having taken in uh, the input from the people and using that to then shape the kind of decisions that you're going to make. So that's where that training yourself to listen to what people are saying, Mm -hmm. to try to put yourself in their position and to say, why are they 
taking the opinion that they're taking. Uh, what is it that I am missing? What is it that's motivating them to do that? And why is it important for me to understand before I make the decision that I may ultimately have to make? Or how do I use that information to shape if it's a program that I'm developing, right. if it's a person that I'm hiring? And people are telling me things about this person and I'm not paying attention. And I go ahead and I hire this person only to realize later on that I've made a big mistake because I should have listened. Right, so right. developing those listening skills are critical to function in this kind of leadership style. And you mentioned training, and I think that that's also key. And it sounds like you've invested in a lot of training for yourself, right? And I that's have. important because the responsibilities that you have to serve others, that makes sense. Is that something that you look for in leaders that you hire or that you mentor, that they invest in themselves? Absolutely. Yes, mm -hmm. that's critical. And, you know, that's in terms of the job that I do now and AASA, the School Superintendents Association, that's what we do. We do a great deal of training of our school superintendents to provide them with the skills that they need in order to succeed. And those listening skills are, are very, very important because it, they have to deal with the school board. They have to deal with staff. They have to deal with the community. They have to deal with parents. They have to deal with their students. So you have all of these stakeholders out there. Right. And if you don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be certainly intentional and practice so, it, right? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Thank you so much for the great kernels of wisdom. So now, Dan, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? Well, I'm inspired, not surprisingly, by the same kind of leader. Right. And I've been fortunate that I have had individuals like that who mentored me and helped me in my development. At a very early age, as I said earlier, right. I became a superintendent at the age of 32, mm -hmm. uh, which is incredibly young. When I think back now, I say to myself, oh, my God, what was that school board thinking? <laughs> <laughs> that they would hire me to be their superintendent. But I had been blessed with individuals that I admired and respected. Mm -hmm. Uh, superintendents that were much older than I was. They were, in essence, father figures right. to me. And they're the ones that worked with me and inspired me and gave me the confidence to do what I had to do and to succeed. Great. Thank you. Now, what's the best advice you've received so far? When I think back over the years, it has been to not react immediately to take the time to digest information, to analyze the information, to look at alternatives before being impulsive. Don't make impulsive decisions. They're the worst decisions that you can make. Right. Uh, now, there are times, and I've had those times, when it's a crisis. Uh, even though there are times, and I've had those incidents and more often than I wish, where you have to make a decision because it's critical, it's in a crisis situation. When you have basically trained yourself to be analytical and thoughtful about your decisions, when you have to make an immediate decision, you have a better chance of making the right one because you've trained yourself to make the right one. Right. It's like a reflex reaction. You know, if you do the same exercise over and over again, uh, when you have to do it in a moment, you'll do the right thing. Right. That speaks to me because I tend to be the kind of leader who likes to take action. But that's such wise advice because I can sleep on it. 
You're right. Yeah. I've gotten myself in trouble because I made decisions quick. So that's great advice. Now, you've been a superintendent for a long time. You have a lot of experience in the school system, a lot of experience creating teams, building teams. Now, tell us, what does it mean to have a good team and how would you build or sustain one? The worst mistake that I have seen leaders make is to basically hire people like themselves. So what they're getting is a mirror image of who they are and people who think the way they think. And they don't have the diversity of opinions. They don't have the different points of view that are so important. Again, as when we talk about listening and listening to options and alternatives and then using that information to make the right decision. Mm -hmm. So I hire people that are very different from me. And that's important. So my team has always been diverse. I've had men and women and minorities and majorities, educated, not so educated, liberals and conservatives. And that's what I want in a team. I don't want a group of people that are mirror images of each other, but I want that kind of diversity because I want that kind of input and I want different opinions so that we can weigh them and then hopefully make the right one. And it's worked very well for me. I'm very proud of the teams that I have assembled in all of my jobs. And I have to say that a lot of individuals that have worked for me are now superintendents. Wow. Uh, that gives me an indication that I was hiring the right people and capable people because they're all now on their own and they're very successful. And it also speaks to your leadership. That speaks to how you influence them. So. Absolutely. And, you know, and every once in a while I would hire somebody that was very much like me mm -hmm. and I would be sitting there listening to them and I'm saying, well, they're telling me exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> so what is that adding to the equation? You know, Occasionally, that's a good like, point. I might as well talk to myself in the mirror, you know. So yeah. I didn't find that to be very fruitful. Mm -hmm. So, Dan, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? I can go back to that very first superintendency. I was hired by the superintendent to be the assistant superintendent for special services. Mm -hmm. And the gentleman that hired me hired me without my ever meeting the Board of Education, which was wonderful because it was a very easy process. He said, you're the person I want. You're hired. Great. The problem was that four months after he hired me, he left the district at, oh, the re wow. at the request of the board, I might add. So that put me in an incredibly difficult situation because mm -hmm. I had had this job that I loved as the director of research and development at the Nasobosis. And now I find myself having left that job, taken this job, and now the person that hired me is gone. And so the board is now in the process of advertising and looking for a new superintendent. So I'm going, boy, I'm in a situation here. So the board had a search consultant that was doing the search, made it known that if any internal candidates applied, that they would give them basically a courtesy interview. Okay. So I said to myself, this is a wonderful opportunity. I'm going to apply for the job, not because I think I can get it, but because at least it'll give me the opportunity to meet with the board and for them to get to know who I am. So... There were five finalists from outside the district, all experienced superintendents, and there were two internal candidates, one assistant superintendent in the district and, and myself. And the other assistant superintendent was a very experienced principal, administrator, had had the job for a while, 
Uh, so in a way, I was rooting for him, you know, to get the job because at least it would have been somebody that I knew. Right. So the first external candidates were interviewed. The other internal candidate was interviewed, and I was the last one. And I recognized, you know, they're just being nice. They're giving me the opportunity. So I walked into the boardroom. And I thanked them profusely for giving me the chance. I was honest with them. And I said, I just want you to know who I am. So the board president said to me, well, as long as you're here, uh, we have a bit of a mess in the district. And we did. The problem was that the district had run a budget deficit, which is against the law in the state of New York. And it was a substantial budget deficit. So the district found itself in a crisis situation. So the president said to me, so what would you do if you were the superintendent? And I proceeded to tell them what I would do. And a half hour became an hour and an hour became two hours and two hours became three hours. And at the end of the meeting, the board is thanking me and I'm thanking them for the opportunity. And I say goodbye and I'm figuring, oh, man. At least I know that I'm going to get to keep my job, you know, and I go home, I walk in the door, the phone rings, I pick it up and it's the board president and the board president says to me, Dan, we want you to be our next superintendent. Wow, that's a great story. <laughs> I tell you, I thought I was going to pass out. And the first thing that occurred to me is like, what the hell do I do now? <laughs> so what do you think was your edge? What was it about? You. Well, the edge was that I gave them a very analytical, thought-out response to what I would do in the district if I was the superintendent. And it was really an out-of-the-box idea. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have any problem in sharing it with them because I thought I never would have to do it. <laughs> right. It turns out that they thought it was a great idea, that that's what they wanted me to do. Awesome. So then... That's what I had to do. And I did it, by the way. You know, I had to totally reorganize the school district. That included closing four schools. But within a period of two years, we had totally done away with the deficit that we had had, established just some incredible programs and schools in the district. And that really launched me on Long Island in terms of a reputation as a superintendent, uh, which was probably why I was a superintendent on Long Island for 20 years. Wow. I left to come to Fairfax County, Virginia to end my career there in a seven-year period. So, But I found myself in a rather difficult situation there. Yay for the underdog! <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've used that, actually, when I try to mentor individuals and say, you know, never underestimate, you know, what could happen. Even if you think it's a long, long, long shot, you just never know. Just give it your best shot. Great. That's inspiring. I'm sure the listeners are very inspired because, you know, they often go through this where you go through this rigorous process and, you know, sometimes you get bad news, but sometimes, you know. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it happens. It happens. Great. Now, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped your life and the life of those around you? Well, certainly the Deer Park experience was a great success. I would but, say, uh, yes. But then what happened there is that I was there for about three years. And then one of our neighboring school districts, South Huntington, their superintendent was about to retire. And I guess their board was very much impressed what they had seen me do in Deer Park. So they offered me that position. And I went to South Huntington. And that, by the way, was my longest tenure as a superintendent. I spent 13 years wow. in South Huntington. But in that period of time, I'm so proud of what we were able to accomplish in that community. 
with the support of the board and the support of the community, we instituted full-day kindergarten, which was practically unheard of on Long Island. Mm -hmm. We instituted child care, a school district providing child care. For the staff? For everybody, for the community. So parents with children that required child care were able to bring those children to our program, whether they were in school at that point or not. Mm -hmm. We implemented preschool programs beginning at age two, which was incredible. As a matter of fact, my own daughter at that time, my youngest, who was four years old at that time, was one of the first to participate in the child care program. Oh, we implemented bilingual education in the district, uh, which again was not very popular on Long Island at the time, and because uh, we had a substantial Spanish-speaking community, so we just did so many wonderful things in that school district. I was very proud of what we accomplished. I appreciate that. I'm an early childhood person, so when you said that, you were speaking Ab- to my heart. Absolutely, and here again, these were not decisions that I pushed down on people because you can imagine what the reaction would have been, but that we basically talked to people and showed them what it meant. And the parents said, yeah, bring it on. That's what we want. Great. All right. So Dan, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their climate or culture? That they have a role in trying to make a difference in that climate or culture. And, you know, today is a perfect example of that. Public education is under attack. Everybody blames the schools and educators and the teachers. And that's not the reality. Uh, The reality is that when you look at the numbers, if you want to use the same benchmarks that are used to determine whether a school district is successful or not, we have the highest high school graduation rate. The performance of our students in the uh, NAEP test, Nations Report Card, in reading and math are the highest that they've ever been. We have the highest college going rate we have a really comprehensive and challenging curriculum in our schools. Mm -hmm. So you have to step up and say, hey, just wait a minute. This is not bad, this is very good. And we're doing the job that we need to be doing. And again, uh, work with people, listen to why are they thinking that your schools are bad? Well, because they get a lot of this information from the media. But if you talk to parents, they think their schools are great. So you have to rise to the challenge and listen and then respond in a way that'll make a difference. Thank you. So Dan, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you and what are you learning now? I consider myself a lifelong learner. I have a doctorate. I have taken just an immense number of programs and credits and I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. I still love to learn. I'm an avid reader. I still love to sit in at seminars and workshops And there's still so much that I realize I don't know. So, you know, I want to learn. I will be learning uh, to the last minute. Great. Now, you mentioned you were an avid reader. What have you read that our listeners should read and why? There are a couple of books on leadership, uh, leadership with no easy answers, leadership on the line. Okay. There's a third book in the series as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he does a great job of describing leadership in different situations. For example, Blanchard's quote, authority only takes you so far. You may have the authority to make decisions, but you're going to be making decisions that are not going to be good decisions and you're going to pay for that. One of the things that I think about that I heard a long time ago in one of my training sessions was General Eisenhower's idea of leadership. 
He says, you know, you can take a string and put it out on a table, and then if you push that string, it's just going to crumble up in front of you and go nowhere. Mm-hmm. Says, but on the other hand, if you grab that string and pull it, it just follows you along so nicely. Mm-hmm. So don't push people to where you want them to go. Pull them along, and you'll get better results. Right, and that also reminds me of Jan Maxwell, who said that a position only gives you enough time so that you can learn how to lead people. Just because you have a position doesn't mean that you're a leader. It just means that you have authority. Right. So if there was something you could change in education in the U.S., what would that be, Dan? A lot, as a matter of fact. I happen to think that we still function with an educational system that is not 21st century. It's not even 20th century. It's at least 19th century, if not more. I mean, we still have a grade level structure that was brought to America by Horace Mann from Austria with kindergarten, first grade, et cetera. So we still group kids by how old they are, not by their abilities. So we're blessed today with all of this technology that allows us really to provide each and every child with a personalized education. If we took advantage of that, not by putting them in grades, not by grouping them with 25 or 30 other kids, but by providing each student with a individualized education plan. And by the way, it's being done. Mm -hmm. Our organization is working with hundreds of school systems around the country and superintendents that are doing that. That would make a huge difference. But when you look at 99% of schools around the country, they're still using the grade levels, they're still teaching to the test, they're still pacing. And consequently, what happens is that they're teaching to the average. And so the child's below average are left behind and the children above average are so bored that they get turned off from school. Mm-hmm. And we still do that. And there's no reason to do that anymore. So we're passionately trying to really transform our educational system from what it is today to what it can be today. Right. So, you know, something that's so much on my heart is leadership. What do you think about teaching leadership skills to students? Well, teaching leadership is important. And, you know, there's a nature-nurture argument kind of here, you know, whether you know leaders are born or leaders are made. And I think that there are leaders that are born that become even better with training. But I don't think it hurts to provide training for all in leadership styles and allow them to do the best that they can as a leader. I think the training helps tremendously. Right. Because, you know, the most challenging person to lead is yourself. So if you can lead yourself well, then you can certainly navigate your life and help influence other people. So absolutely. So you have a lot of responsibilities. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for that? You know, my job is so diverse that on any given day, I probably spend 60% of the time doing something that I never thought I'd be doing. That's (laughs) Uh, fun. (laughs) Yeah, and it is fun because you don't get bored. So I plan as much as I can, Mm -hmm. but I'm experienced enough now to know that plans are just plans and that rarely do you have the opportunity to fully implement them, that things will come along that will force you to change your plans and to force you to do things that are not what you were anticipating doing. Mm -hmm. Now, is there something you do to set your mind to prepare for that? Well, you know, here's a good example. I think that physical fitness is important. 
because if you're in good shape physically, then you're in good shape mentally. Mm -hmm. Your mind is functioning and working and you're not so tired and so sleepy. You know, as a superintendent, I would have 14-hour days. And usually the last part of the day would be a board meeting <laughs> where I'd be there till like 2, 3 in the morning. And boy, you'd have to be sharp. Uh, you have to be on. How did you do that? <laughs> by being in shape. So I would okay. get up. I get up every morning at 530 and I work out for an hour and a half. Wow. Okay? And so, you know, people would say to me, how can you? And I say, you know what? If I didn't get up at 530 every morning and work out for an hour and a half, there's no way I would be able to stay alert and awake till 2 in the morning by making sure that you're physically fit, you're mentally fit, and you're capable and you have the ability to endure these long periods of time to deal with stress. Because right. stress is a major part of being a school superintendent. You're under constant stress. If you're not fit, you will get sick. Yeah. And, uh, I see that happening all the time. A lot of our superintendents, the stress just finally gets to them. Right. and They can't take it and they get sick. They do get right. sick. So uh, I am very much an advocate of physical fitness as like training. I always would tell my colleagues, I train as an athlete would train. I train for this job physically to be able to be a good superintendent. You know, Dan, I love to hear that because you're absolutely right. I see that where people don't take care of themselves and stress is a killer. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, an important thing, too, is sleep. And yes. quite often leaders don't do that. They don't, no. And I don't need much sleep, but I try to force myself to get it the very least six to seven hours every night. Mm -hmm. Great. I think that's a good number. Okay. If you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I thought that at the age of 19, 20, that I was the smartest person in the world. And I clearly was not. <laughs> I have a 14-year-old who thinks that. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I had to learn the hard way, you know, that I was not. And so I think that's critical to tell our young, don't assume that you know everything because you really don't. And if you think you know everything, you're just going to find yourself in some difficult situations and, and probably very disappointed. Yeah, that's great advice. All right, so we've come to our last question. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to share with our listeners? I think generally, you know, I've been an educator all my life and I've enjoyed every minute of it. I am one of those fortunate individuals who's had a long career and I still get up every morning and I look forward to going to work because it's not work. It really is a vocation. It's really what I love doing. People ask me, when are you going to retire? I said, I'm never going to retire. <laughs> Why should you, I? You would be an epic failure at retirement. <laughs> yeah. I, I love what I'm doing. I enjoy it. It keeps me active. It right. keeps me engaged. Uh, so, no, I love what I do. I'm just going to continue doing it for as long as the good Lord allows me. Fantastic. Dan, I want to thank you so much for adding value, not just to me, but to our listeners. Well, my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. And although it's been around for centuries, coaching to develop effective leadership skills is fairly new to education and grossly underutilized. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time.
continue to ignite that leader in you.